Welcome to Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, hosted by certified financial planners Justin Brownlee and Jared Machen of Brownlee Wealth Management. The only podcast dedicated to those of you in the oil and gas profession to help you optimize investments, lower future taxes, and grow your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Welcome back to FPOG, Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals. Today, we have a very exciting topic, and arguably the most important thing in many of our lives is our children. So, Justin, I'm excited for this one. Yes, I've, I've been excited to do this one. It was really fun to prepare for it. And so we are essentially just going to cover how do we pass financial wisdom down to the next generation? So if you have kids or grandkids, how do you think about imparting financial wisdom to them? And it was a lot of fun. It was really enjoyable to think through ages 1 to 10, ages 11 to 20, uh, versus adulthood and the different stages of adulthood. And, and what are the key financial things that, that someone needs to learn in each of those stages? And then there's kind of a, I mean, it's really two parts and those two parts are so different. The first part is what does a nine-year-old need to learn? And then the second part is, okay, if that's what they need to learn, how do I teach that to them? And so we uh, we may not have all the answers, but I think we have some pretty good questions. And let's uh, let's dive in and see if we can solve this once and for all. Absolutely, I think uh, to start off, just working through those timelines, uh, starting with children at a very young age, or even before we start diving into the the specific age groups, I think one thing we'd like to highlight you already touched on it is just having this conversation and being intentional about teaching your children about money, I think is the really the biggest thing. Uh, we're not going to be perfect. Uh, we, we don't profess to know everything there is to about raising children, uh, but just uh, being able to talk to your children about money and give them some foundation to build upon, I think is the biggest thing. I would echo that. There's so many things that you worry about as a parent. Uh, there's so many areas of, of parenthood where you're thinking, did I do this right? Uh, did I shelter them as well as, you know, teach them everything they needed in all of the different hundred areas that you're supposed to parent kids in? So a lot of opportunity for shame and regrets. And I think it's helpful to just acknowledge on the front end, the chances that your child is the next Rockefeller and, and your bad parenting during this phase is the only reason that they're not going to fulfill their lives as the next Rockefeller. Those chances are non-existent, so no need to stress out with this topic. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, diving into just the early stages of childhood, uh, one of the core things that I think is really important is just introducing concept of money. Uh, what is money? Why do we need money? Uh, just introducing the fact that uh, we need money in order to buy things, and the uh, way we earn money is by helping other people solve problems. Uh, many times that's in the form of work. And so just laying some of those principles out ahead of time, uh, I think is a really core place to start. Uh, nothing too too fancy uh, to begin with. Absolutely. And, you know, I think in this first stage, so ages one to 10, uh, a lot of these things you've probably thought about and you're probably already doing with your kids, but paying money for chores. Um, simple, practical step. 
We found a lot of success with it. Uh, another idea is introducing an element of delayed gratification. Uh, you can do this in a number of different ways. One idea is you can have $1 or you can have one cookie now, but if you wait one hour, we will give you two cookies or we will give you $2. Uh, just introducing that element of if you're willing to delay gratification, good things can happen. Well, that can be a really powerful idea for a 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 5-year-old, 3-year-old. Um, and so I think those are just a couple simple things that, that can really start to get the wheels turning and, and get some momentum. Right. What else would you add, Nathan? I would say just building on that conversation around delayed gratification, I think it, it's a really nice but approachable parallel to the idea of compound interest and one that we can maybe graduate to in the later years, but it's a much easier concept for a child to understand, okay, I get two cookies now because I waited an hour. So uh, that's a great example. I love that. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah. I do think that it's been fun to see my kids interact with this together. Uh, so my oldest son, JD, he is, he's kind of your classic oldest kid. He's a really good kid. He's super honest and he's a hard worker and he's a saver. So he's constantly trying to do chores. He's trying to make more money. And our second child, my daughter Blair is just the total opposite. She is, this is not on her radar at all. And she's just, she's wired that way. And they're both different. They have their gifts and they're both incredible. Uh, but it, it has been helpful to kind of play this out as a family and, you know, Blair is able to see, oh man, JD's got a lot more money than I do. And if we go to <laughs> Disney World and I want to buy something, JD's got a little bit more options than I do. Uh, so that's been, that's been fun to see that play out and, and see some self-discovery there. Yeah, it's great to see just the difference in children. You, you don't know how they're, how they're going to turn out, how their little personalities will turn out, but it's fascinating how they develop. I think one of the hard parts there as a dad, though, is I constantly want to bail Blair out. So of course. I, I, I do not want to see JD get something that Blair cannot get um, <laughs> and stuff. So it's, it's funny to kind of really play that out as a parent. You know, this is kind of yeah. an off the wall idea, but something that I have loved doing. I think I've only started doing this in the past year. Um, and a little bit of background, my kids are nine, seven, and five. So, I mean, I've maybe been doing this for six or 12 months, but I have been sharing some of the bigger financial decisions and some of the in financial decisions. I mean, both in the business and Brownlee wealth management and personal, personal financial decisions with my children. Um, so a couple quick examples of that. We, gosh, we've been thinking through, do what do we want our office space to look like? And I never pictured having this conversation with my kids. Um, and honestly, I, this was not some well-strategized, thought-out parenting plan. Uh, they were just in the car with me. I had all, all three kids in the car. Lauren was not with me, so I was you know, alone with the three kids in the car. And they are on the brink of just fighting to the death in the backseat. So I was trying to strike up some conversation that would make this a more amicable car ride. And so I, I started to just ask them, hey, guys, where should we look at getting this office in this uh, little 
shopping center. It's like a hundred years old. It's really charming uh, in our neighborhood in Fort Worth. And so there's an open office. So I started talking to them about that. And we kind of had this discussion of how much money should Brownlee Wealth Management spend on an office in Fort Worth, knowing that, well, we also need an office in Houston, in the loop in Houston. We also need an office in the Woodlands in Houston. And so we also need a lot of flexibility because we have clients in, I don't know how many different states now, but a lot. So we started having this discussion and I was shocked at some of the things that, that especially my older two kids were, were really thinking through with this. Um, and my oldest, you know, made the comment, well, do you want a more private office or is there a benefit to having an office in more of a WeWork type thing? We've been in WeWork for years, so my son's familiar with WeWork. Uh, so he's he was asking me, or is it good to be in WeWork? Because then you can be around lots of other businesses and eventually you could buy them and you could become huge. Uh, I, I think his main thought was maybe there's a lot of other wealth management firms and over the course of time, we could buy them, acquire them, and then we could be <laughs> you know much, much larger. And I cannot believe that he was even thinking about that. Um, not that that's like a viable plan to buy wealth management firms and we works across <laughs> the country, but I like that his wheels were turning. Um, so it was really neat to bring him into this. Another thing we're thinking through is we're going to buy a home in the next year or so. And so we've been talking about that with them, just the trade-offs of, hey, if we spend this much, we can, if we spend a lesser amount, if we go lower on the budget, that means that all of those Rangers games that we love going to, we can go to a ton of major league baseball games. We can play a lot of golf. We can go on a lot of vacations. Or if we spend more, if we fill up more of our housing budget, well, it it might mean that we might not be able to do some of those things. But it does mean that we might yeah. have a bigger yard. Uh, there might be a pool versus no pool. Um, and so understanding some of those trade-offs, I think the last example, we were traveling somewhere and my middle child, my daughter Blair said, dad, we should get a house in this place. Like a, a vacation home essentially is what she was saying. And I turned that into a conversation of, well, is that what we want? How many times would we be able to visit it? And I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but I actually went into, well, the thing is, if we spend more money on a second home now, at some point over the coming 50, 60 years, your mom and I want to give you guys a lot of our money. So we want to earn wealth and we want to pass it down to you guys eventually. And so if we spend a lot on toys now, that might really limit our ability to do that in the future. But also... There's an element where it's really good to spend on some toys that you can enjoy as a family. Um, so it's it's spurred a lot of discussions that I really was never envisioned. And I, I never thought I would have these conversations with them at nine and sure. seven, but it's been really fun. Less so with my five-year-old, but we'll get there. I, I think so many things you said right there are, are really fascinating. Firstly, just the idea that they have thoughts in their head about money that you may not have even known. And they're, they're absorbing these ideas about money uh, from all kinds of places. And for you to have those conversations, it really brings to light what, what's going on in their minds. What are they learning about money? What are they thinking about? And how do they process these decisions? And so uh, I love 
for you to have those conversations early on, knowing that those will continue throughout their lives and they'll continue to develop the ability to make good decisions. I think that's great to start early. Um, another thing that I, I think was really fascinating is this idea of opportunity costs. Uh, you mentioned it, the trade-offs, and it's such an important skill to understand. Uh, I heard it, uh, a quote once uh, in terms of raising children, uh, telling your child that you can have anything, but you can't have everything. I thought it was just so beautiful, the idea of these opportunity costs and these, these trade-offs and decisions they have to make in the process. And so having them work through that, that um, exercise and, and that analysis early and okay, well, maybe I want to go to more Rangers games. And yeah, I, I, I prefer that over having a backyard and making those, those decisions. I think it's, it's great for them to work those muscles early on. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure that can really, those conversations can mature as we get into the next age range. Um, anything else for ages one to 10 before we move on? No, I think that that really lays a good foundation for us to build on. Great. Where should we start with if your kids are ages 11 to 20, what financial wisdom do they need? Right. I, this is, to me, a really uh, key point in time where you start to introduce work and earnings and uh, the idea of earning money. And then once I get the money, how what do I do with it? And so starting with just the earnings portion, you've already mentioned a few of the, the concepts of chores or mowing lawns or the lemonade stand that you you may uh, speak of, but um, just the idea of solving problems and that results in earnings and income oftentimes. Uh, so uh, helping them find ways to solve problems, I think will serve them whether they want to go into entrepreneurship and starting their own business or even solving problems within a larger company. It all uh, translates to value for uh, a business and it comes back to them in the form of earnings. And so finding those opportunities to earn income, I think, is is a really great skill that they can learn early on. Absolutely. I think it's important to define uh, what money is and what work is. You might get a concept of money and work that's all across the board. But if you just grow up and you kind of watch a lot of movies and you see what does culture tell us about money and about work, it's not crazy to think that you're going to come away with a perception that money is bad and that money is evil. And hey, in these movies, the bad guy is often a business person. Um, and, you know, I won't even go into that rabbit hole, but I do think it's a really foundational time to try and try and instill this conviction that work is serving another person. And you make more money if you're able to serve other people either in depth or just serve a lot of other people. Um, and so solving problems and helping another person is the foundational principle of how you make money. Uh, and so I think that's kind of the fun thing when, when they can start working in those teenage years, they can start to see that a little bit. Right. I think it also tends to unlock, I guess, in my mind, there's just this abundance mentality. There are infinite numbers of problems that you can solve in the, in the world. And you're not just captive to this one role in this one company uh, later on in your life. There are infinite amounts of, of opportunities for you to solve problems. And so for them to learn that 
problems are infinite and and I have the ability to solve them. I think that's that's great. So true. That is so good. And then once they get that money, uh, what do what ideas would you have for uh, how to uh, help them make decisions with those with the, those earnings? You know, we'll try to try to wrap this up a little bit at the end, but there's so many different um, tools that you can use. And, you know, when you can start making money, certainly a Roth IRA for minors is a really great way. Uh, If you're in a position to gift uh, money each year to your kids, it's even easier. Um, And so if they're making money, it's helpful to say, hey, let's try to save 10 or 20% of everything you make. And that's just what happens. Um, Gosh, even better if if you can, hey, we're going to save 10% and we're going to give 10%. Um, And then, hey, this 80% of everything else that you get, uh, go spend it. And, you know, I think think that's kind of a fun idea. And, you know, you and Jared did a great podcast on this. And I was having a conversation with with Blaine Killian, who was on the podcast a few months ago. But the idea, the topic we were talking about was, it's really important to be able to spend joyfully. There shouldn't be this stigma where it's always evil to spend money. A big part of a enjoyable, happy life is being able to joyfully spend the fruits of your labor. Um, So I think think that's an important idea to, to kind of pass along as well. I love that. I, yeah, in, you know, researching for, for ideas for the podcast, uh, a lot of people come up with the, the, you know, the spend jar, the save jar, and sometimes the, the giving jar, if they want to give it to somebody else, uh, charitably, uh, I think the concepts of giving each dollar a purpose is one that serves you much later in life. And so, uh, starting that with just simple jars or, or piggy banks or whatever, whether it's in an, in an account or not, I think it's it's great to identify that it's it's worthwhile to spend joyfully. I, I love that concept. That's right. I'm pretty excited about this next one. Uh, so this is something that Jared talked about. Gosh, this was probably two years ago. Um, we did a couple of podcasts on generational wealth, and Jared mentioned that. If you have kids that are going to college and you're going to pay for their college, it's a really helpful exercise to have your son or daughter going to college make a little bit of a business plan, if you will, and present it to you. And so make a case, even if it's a five or 10 minute presentation on this is what I'm doing, this is where I'm going to school, and this is why you should invest in it. Um it doesn't need to be extravagant. Uh, this doesn't need to be a, a Shark Tank TV episode at home. Um, <laughs> but even forcing them to ask these questions is a really valuable exercise. Um, so you start to get the wheels turning. You have a 17-year-old. Hmm, is it a good idea for our family to give me $100,000 or $200,000, $300,000 if it's a private school to go to college? Is this a good financial idea for my family to spend $100,000 to send me to Texas Tech or Arkansas or Kansas State or wherever you're going? Is the reward? And then, then some follow-up questions. If, if they have to make a little bit of a business plan and pitch it to you as parents as to why they should go to college and you should pay for some of it or all of it, 
is the reward the same? Is the return on investment the same across these three different schools that I'm considering? Um, is the majors, is the path that I'm going to pursue in, in college, if I'm thinking about five different you know things that I might study, are the potential returns on those five different things, are they the same? Uh, what paths during and after college, so kind of go, go beyond that, but what would I have to do during college and what would I have to do after college for us to look back on this and say, this was such a good investment. I'm so glad that our family did this. And then I also like asking the negative question, uh, what, what paths during or after college could be really detrimental and turn this into a really bad investment? Uh, beginning to ask those questions is such a helpful exercise and doing something as simple as, Hey, we're a family and we have this income. We have this money. We're thinking about taking a a huge amount of, of money and, and paying for your college. How about you come up with a little bit of a business plan and tell us why that would be a good or bad idea. I think it's helpful to just get the wheels turning. Yeah. I love that. There's so many things I would, I would unpack there, but I think, one of the the main ones is just the concept of ownership. Uh, up to this point, I think the majority of the exposure to money is probably that of observation, uh, observing, discussing how my parents make money and how they choose to spend their money. But now they have to own it, right? And the stakes become a little bit higher as as the dollar amounts get a little bit larger. And so uh, giving them ownership and really forcing them to think through some of the risks and rewards, like you said, the trade-offs, that, that's crucial. I think, uh, again, laying the foundation for some really crucial principles that they can use later in life uh, for any business decision or, or money decision. And so uh, back to the concept around, around trade-offs uh, that, that finds its way in there again. Um, one of the things that uh, I, I think is so valuable in that process that you just described is just this idea of uh, persuasion and sales and convincing other people that you have a good idea. And uh, I think a lot of times that people can feel like that's a slimy process, but it's so prevalent in our everyday lives and everything we do. We're, we're uh, trying to convince people uh, that we have a good idea and uh, that they should listen to us. And so uh, I, I love the idea of working in some of the sales sales pitch into that. Absolutely. Yeah. What a, what a critical skill um, to begin to kind of work that muscle. Uh, that's, that's an important part of, of, of growing up and, and training children. Um, I think there was maybe one more point I wanted to make sure we brought up in the teenage years. And, you know, I think, I think the big one was if you, so in ages one to 10, I mentioned that I kind of stumbled into those financial and business conversations with my nine and seven year old. If you're not doing that in ages one to 10, and it's fine if you're not, um, again, I was not strategic in doing this. It was more of an accidental thing because I just wanted my kids to not fight in the back of the car. Um, if you're not, if you haven't done that, begin to bring them into some of those conversations Uh, I think it'd be really valuable if you have a 16-year-old to explain that, hey, there's 15% of my compensation that I never see because it's going into a 401k. And here's why I'm doing that. Uh, But also, I think think it'd be really cool to tell your 16-year-old, here's the opportunity cost. We could go to Hawaii and go out to eat two more times a week. 
Um, if I wasn't foregoing 15% of my paycheck, every single paycheck, but I'm putting that in a long-term investment account. Here's why I'm doing that. Bring them into those decisions. We have a 15-year fixed mortgage on our house. Here's why we did that. Or we have a 30-year fixed mortgage on our house. Here's why we did that. Your, you know, I would have the conversation, your mom and I drive this car in this car, and we're thinking about buying you this car. Here's all of the reasons why we drive this car and not this car or otherwise. And the thing is that really fits whether you are just an absolute cheapskate with cars and you drive a 20-year-old Honda Civic uh, or if you're really extravagant and you have a brand new Range Rover. There's a case for both of those and there's a time and right. place to own both of those vehicles. And I think it's it's nothing but helpful to bring your children in to this is the decision we made and this is why we made it. Um, I think it'd be really valuable if more 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 18-year-olds had a little bit of exposure into, huh, my parents made an intentional choice there. Why did they do that? Why did they not choose the other options? Um, anything you'd add to that, Nathan? I don't think so. I, I think that just continuing those those conversations around why we made certain decisions and, and the concepts around those decisions is helpful. One thing I may add, and it dovetails into uh, the adult life, is it feels like uh, this is about the time frame that I would introduce the power of long-term investing and long-term compounding uh, of interest. It might be a little bit later in, in the 16, 18-year-old uh, time frame, but uh, certainly as you, uh, if you were to uh, combine on some type of investing account, I know we're, we're going to get a little bit deeper into some of the vehicles later, but uh, I think having some of these conversations now and, and preaching the this idea of uh, how much time you have and time is, is valuable in terms of investing, uh, I think it could be a good time to introduce it at this stage. Yes. I'm glad you mentioned that. This might be a little more relevant for the next age group, which is, you know, adulthood, but right. I will just mention it now. If you, if your balance sheet and your income allows you to do family gift exclusions every year. So if you're gifting your kids 17,000 a year, uh, maybe you and your spouse are both doing that. Uh, quick, quick note there. Who does it make sense? When does it make sense to start giving to your kids every year? I think it starts to make sense when you are staring at a likely estate tax. And so a lot of people would hear that and think, well, I don't have $24 million, so I'm not going to, you know, think about that any longer. But two things will happen. Uh, the laws around estate taxes are probably going to change at some point. So right now, if you're married, you can, 24 million is the number. You've got to have more than 24 million to even be exposed to an estate tax today. Uh, but the first thing is that's probably going to lower. So what if that does, what if you wake up in five years and it's, 8 million or 12 million. And that's the estate exemption. And it's half of that if you're single. Um, well, there's a second factor and that is your money will continue to compound. So if you're 45 and your net worth is, I'm just going to pick a round number. Let's say it's $4 million. Well, yeah, you do not have an estate tax problem today and you're really not even close, but you're probably going to have an estate tax problem at some point, because if you have 4 million today, and let's say it grows at 8%. Well, in 18 years, 
what are you looking at? You're looking at $16 million and the estate tax exemption is probably going to be less than that um, in another five, 10 years or so. So if you have a significant income that is far above and beyond your monthly needs as a family and you're likely staring at an estate tax within the next 10 or 20 years, and the cash flow allows it, like I said, it makes sense to start to entertain gifting to family members because it's helpful to remove some of your assets from your estate. But you don't just want to give your 14-year-old son or daughter $17,000 a year or $34,000 a year if you're if you're married. Um, they're probably not going to know what to do with that. Uh, but if it's done as part of your estate plan, and, and you know, a quick example here is, you know, we have a revocable living trust. So if something happens to my wife and I, our kids do not have access to the assets until they are 35 years old. So we dictated that age and essentially the trustee will have authority uh, and is kind of the, the channel that the kids have to go through to access any of that money. But when they're 35, they get free reign over that money. Um, so if you set up some of your accounts and, you know, it could make sense to have a family limited partnership, but also we just don't have time to go into the different estate planning vehicles and, and which one you should use. So however you do it, I just want to point out that those can be really valuable tools because you can set an age restriction where, hey, even if you pass away, your, your child is not going to have free access to this money. They can't just go and spend it. So what happens there is it does two things. One, you have a joint project now with your child. You, you have a joint investment that you're doing together. You're shoulder to shoulder in this investment together. But the second thing it does, and I really like this, you know, thinking about being able to set an age at which your kids can have access to assets within the estate plan. It forces, let's say you have a 14 year old, it forces them to understand that, hey, I kind of have this money, but I don't have full access to it for two decades. And so it forces them, the second point, to have a long time frame. And to really buy in that that a great investment is something that takes place over multiple decades. It takes place over many, many years. Um, so again, you think about some of the ways that investing is portrayed in media and Hollywood. And it's usually, oh, this really smart, sophisticated person has access to investments that other people don't have access to. And because they're so smart and sophisticated, they're going to make a lot of money in a short period of time. When the reality is that great investing is often just owning great companies for a really long period of time. And so if you can if you can do that within the context of your family giving, so you're not just giving $17,000 a year to your children, but instead it's in a joint investment account that they're a partner in and they're going to watch this over the next 20 years, that can instill a great amount of wisdom. Uh, within their, you know, future financial situation. So true. Just the power of time is is pretty amazing. So uh, that actually is a pretty nice transition into the adult years and what we can, uh, what concepts and principles we can instill in those years. And so uh, I, one of the ones that we had discussed is just setting really sound expectations. And I think oftentimes when people uh, 
leave college, they're, they're trying to get their financial lives started, and they're early on in their years. And they are looking around and uh, they see their parents that have accumulated uh, a large amount of wealth, hopefully, and uh, it can be easy to get impatient, um, even looking around at their peers and um, maybe some of the financial choices there they are making. Uh, it's really easy to compare, uh, compare where you're at in your, your time frame uh, to others or your own uh, family. And so just trying to set expectations with young adults uh, that it takes a long time to build wealth. And uh, it's easy to measure yourself against others, but it's really, really important to create your plan, work the plan, and then just be patient. Yeah, I love that. Um, kind of some expectation management. And I think this is going to be really important. Uh, children who are heading into college, or let's say you're graduating college today, if you're 22 today, you have a wildly different financial experience than even Nathan and I did. Uh, I guess I graduated, what, 12, 13 years ago? Uh, yeah, 13, 14 years ago. So at that time, I mean, you could buy a great home in most American cities for $150,000. The average price of a car was like $17,000. Uh, so the financial world that a 22-year-old is entering today is, I mean, it's a good five times more expensive than it was in 2009. Um, and so acknowledging that and, and having a little bit of expectation management, it's also difficult because, you know, they kind of, you remember as a kid, you remember more about being, you know, 12, 14, 16, 18 than you do when you're four years old. And for most people, your parents have a lot more money when you're 16 years old than they did when you were four. Uh, in my situation, there was a house that my parents lived in that I never even lived in. Their first starter home, I was born after they had upgraded from that. Um, and then they upgraded again when I was, I don't know, like 14 or so. And so I have this picture of, okay, this is what success looks like. This is where I need to get to. And the reality is that, hey, there was a good 15 years and in, in multiple homes that were far below where my parents' home was when I graduated. Uh, and so it takes a long time to build up to those things. Yeah, so true. What else would you say? Uh, I know uh, just general conversations around uh, transparency around finances. What things uh, should parents be speaking to their children about, Justin? Dave Ramsey is really adamant that you should tell your children your estate plan. So Dave Ramsey would say that you need to tell your children, here's what you're going to get from me. Here's your stake. Here's your inheritance. Here's what it looks like. Uh, there can be some nuance with that. Um, so if we're working with a family that has hundreds of millions of dollars, well, there maybe there's not going to be, you know, a full sharing of everything uh, that, that goes along with that. I do think that makes total sense for basically anyone with less than 10 million. Um, I, I, I emphatically think it's really helpful to share your estate plan with your children. Um, and Dave Ramsey would go so far as to say that if you have a child who is not at a place where they could receive that money, uh, whether it's, you know, they're just not mature enough yet or whether something is going on in life, he would say, be honest and tell them that, um, 
And, you know, we're not going to give psychological family communication advice in this podcast at this time. Uh, Maybe we can later. But I do think as a broad general idea, Dave Ramsey is right. It's really helpful to have open communication. And, you know, frankly, why it's so helpful is the biggest hairy messes with estate planning are, in my opinion, they're not because some lawyer did something wrong with your trust. Uh, that's not really usually the issue. A much bigger issue that that causes more problems with estate planning is someone passes away and they've got seven different accounts at five different financial institutions and the children don't necessarily know where everything's at and how much is in all of those things. And so then it becomes a full-time job to just track everything down and figure out where where are things located? How do I get them? All of these five different financial institutions are going to have different protocols and a different process, different requirements to get this. And by the way, Nathan, how much in assets has been escheated to the state now? I want to say it's in the trillions. Yeah, it's it's a very large number. So the 30 second explanation of what I just said is there are literally so many unorganized estate plans that the state is holding on to either billions or trillions of dollars that no one has claimed. It's unclaimed property. And that happens because you have a really disorganized estate plan and your family doesn't know where everything is. So I think that's the first thing. In the adult years, you should be communicating the estate plan and at least painting the picture of here's where stuff's at. If something happens, here's the game plan. Here's who to contact. Um, what else do we need to cover? I think one of the other topics that we just wanted to talk about is just this idea of future planning for the individual child. Um, I think all of the concepts that we've already spoken about are just on a bigger scale. They're just bigger numbers. And so, um, the, the idea that your income is your greatest asset. Uh, over a number of decades, uh, it is far greater than any investment return you can you can earn in your portfolio. Uh, it's it's purely just the income in your or over the, your lifetime is so valuable. And so, uh, focus on focusing on solving people's problems and increasing that income can serve you really well in your financial plan. I love that. So, if I'm thinking through, what does a 22 year old need to know about money? You just hit the nail on the head. Number one, your income is your greatest wealth building tool. If you are 25, 30, even if you're 40 year, even if you're 40 years old and you've saved $3 million, your greatest asset is not the $3 million in an investment account. It's the present value of your next 25 years worth of high earnings. That's still your greatest asset. And so understand just how critical it is to find ways to grow your income. A similar thought process, kind of some more insight with that. Look for asymmetric bets in life. Better put, try to put yourself in positions. This is is maybe the best advice I've ever heard. Um, Try to put yourself in positions where the average performer still absolutely crushes it. So be careful when you're picking what game you're going to play. Be careful when you're picking what career you're going to pursue. Um, so it's easy to kind of look at yourself and think, well, I'm going to be the top performer. I'm going to be the best, but it's even more powerful. If you're thinking about your lifetime earnings, put yourself in a position where even if you're average, you're going to be really successful. 
Um, and so, you know, the highest performing person who has a low level job in a giant corporation is pretty capped at what they're going to make. But a lawyer is not nearly as capped. A business owner is not nearly as capped in what they can make. Um, So try to figure out what path am I going to pursue? And even if I end up average, am I still going to make a lot of money? I think that's a question that you should be thinking through as a young person. If I I have a 22-year-old, I want them to know that. I want them to be thinking through that. Um, Another helpful framing Try to engage in activities that increase your luck circumference. And so that idea of, you know, how do you get lucky? Well, a lot of getting lucky is just making decisions that put you in the path of of that potentially happening. For example, there's a lot better chance of something great happening to you if you go out to a social event with other successful people than if you stay in and play video games one night. Um, Your luck circumference is just so much greater in that first option, um, far greater chance of something great happening in your career. If you own a small business with serious potential to grow compared to working in a giant corporation in a part of that corporation where earnings are severely capped. Um, so really be intentional about those decisions that will influence your income now and your income in the future. Um, let's see, I, you know, I, I want to kind of repeat with that what I said a few minutes ago, and that is I want to acknowledge that if you are 22 today, I think it's I think it's so much more difficult than when we entered the real world. I mean, I think it is wildly more difficult. Um, We were having a conversation earlier this week that if if you were in a situation where your household income was two hundred fifty thousand dollars and you didn't really have any assets yet. There's not a house in Houston in a good school district within 25 minutes of our office in the Galleria that you could afford to buy a home in. There's just not. Think about how absurd that is. There's not a neighborhood in Dallas that's a good school district where you can buy a home with that income. So I want to acknowledge it is it is a completely different world to enter the workforce today than it was in 2009 or in 1991 or enter any year that you want to enter. So it is, you've got to really be intentional. That's the, I just shared a bunch of bad news. The good news though, it is far more possible to make a ton of money today than it was 40 years ago and 20 years ago. So the bad news is you really need to make a lot of money. The good news, there's a lot of opportunity to do just that. Um, I also think, you know, be intentional. What is your ideal future scenario non-financial look like? What do you want life to look like? So the principle of the path, are you moving in a direction that likely ends up with where you want to be? Are your daily decisions likely ending up there? Um, and yeah, I think try to build a long-term time frame. Try to think in decades when it comes to wealth building. Nathan, I just kind of rambled on a bunch of different topics. Anything that sticks out or anything that we should add before we part ways. No, I think the last uh, thought that you mentioned there, just being intentional about your plan uh, is a really important one. Um, I I think we spoke about it a little bit earlier around this often takes a long time and just making sure that you are going in the correct direction, uh, whether that means you're uh, uh, on, on the fast track or you're 
or you're going to get there eventually, just know that you are on your path and that uh, as long as you stay focused, uh, that good things are going to happen. I love that. Um, we will have some show notes that will link to some of the things we mentioned here. And I think that covers it for today. So if you have any ideas for future podcasts or have any thoughts, questions, send us a message. We look forward to hearing from you and uh, we'll, we'll call it a wrap with that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe or connect with us at brownleewealthmanagement.com or send ideas for future episodes to podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed during this show or episode should be viewed as investment, legal, and tax advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please consult the appropriate qualified professional.